I'll read now from Matthew 10, 16-39. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Christ speaking to His disciples. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and his servant like his master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. As I began to write this sermon about God's providence, my mind went to the creation account of Genesis 1. God took six days to create. Remember, we've learned about that recently. And on the seventh day, He entered into rest. I would suppose that some may take this to mean that God entered into a state of inactivity in heaven after He created the heavens and the earth. But that would be a misunderstanding. When the scriptures say that God rested on the seventh day, they mean that God rested from His work of creation. God does not create continuously as He did in the beginning. In the beginning, He created the heavens and the earth. He then formed and fashioned the earth into a place suitable for humans to live. Lastly, He created man in His image and gave them dominion over the creatures. This He did in six days, and He rested on the seventh day. He rested from His work of creation. But I hope that you do not think that God sits in heaven now in a state of inactivity as if He were napping while human history unfolds. That is not the meaning. 
This would be a terrible misunderstanding concerning God's relationship to the world He has made. God created the heavens and earth, this He did in six days. He rested on the seventh from His work in creation, but He is not inactive in heaven now. No, He is still engaged. He, in fact, is very active, and He does relate to the world that He has made. We confess that in the beginning God creates the heavens and the, created the heavens and the earth. Now we are concerned with the question, how does God relate to the world that he has made? Is he distant from it? Has he turned his back on it? Is he hands off from the affairs of man as human history unfolds? Is he sleeping in heaven to all of these things? We say no. Though it is true that God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day, we confess that God entered into another kind of work, namely the work of providence. So the question before us this afternoon is, what are God's works of providence? Our confession, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, has a very beautiful and helpful chapter on providence. Chapter 5 is on providence, and it is seven paragraphs long. Each of them is very important. But would you please allow me to read paragraph 1 now? Again, this is from our confession, not our catechism. Our confession says in chapter 5, paragraph 1, God, the good creator of all things, in His infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by His most wise and holy providence to the end for which they were created, according unto His infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will, to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. It's a wonderful statement, isn't, isn't it, on the doctrine of God's providence. Our catechism communicates these same truths, but much more briefly. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence, our catechism teaches, are His preserving and governing all His creatures and their actions. The words preserving and governing describe to us the two ways in which God providentially cares for this world. God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. He made it into a place, the earth, into a place suitable for humans to live. And now he upholds this world. He cares for this world. He does so in two ways. By preserving this world and also by governing this world. First, we say that God preserves this world. This draws our attention to the fact that God upholds this world according to the nature of the things that he has made. While the earth remains, there is day and night, summer and winter, seed time and harvest. The process of procreation continues on in the animal kingdom and amongst the human race, etc., etc. We call this the natural order of things. But it would be a mistake to think that God is uninvolved. In truth, the quote-unquote natural order of things is upheld and, and sustained by the providential care of God. He created the world in the beginning and now He preserves the world that He has made. He promised to do so in the covenant that He transacted with creation in the days of Noah. And He does so through the eternal Son. 
This is what the letter to the Hebrews means when it says that He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's speaking of the eternal Son of God here, that He, the Son, upholds the universe by the word of His power. It does not say that He created the universe by the word of His power. He did do that, by the way. But here we are told that He also upholds the universe by the word of His power. God preserves the world that He has made. He preserves the world, and by that we mean that He upholds it. And we also mean that He provides for His creatures. He gives His creatures daily bread. Or consider the words of the psalmist as he speaks to God saying, The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. That is Psalm 145, 15 through 16. You see, uh, God preserves the created world by, by upholding it, by causing things to fall out according to the natural order of things. God is behind all of that. He also provides uh, for His creatures. All creatures look to God's hand. He is the one who satisfies the desire of every living thing. Are, are you mindful of that, brothers and sisters? As you live in this world, are you mindful of God's preservation of it? Or do you only see the natural order of things? We must see that there is, there is a God who, who preserves behind the natural order of things. Secondly, we say that God governs His creatures. When we say that God governs His creatures, we mean that He rules over them. God is Lord Most High. He is the Sovereign One. In Isaiah 46, 9, God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So we have learned that God has decreed all things that will come to pass in eternity. Uh, We have said that He carries out this decree first by creating, and now we are drawing our attention to the fact that God also carries out His decree by governing the world that He has made. He brings His decree to be through His providence. So He preserves the world. He governs the world as well. And what does God providentially govern? What does He govern over? Our catechism is right to say that God preserves and governs all His creatures and all their actions. In other words, there is nothing that is outside of God's sovereign control. Psalm 103 testifies to this, saying, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Is God's kingdom confined only to a small portion of the earth? Is His kingdom confined only to certain things? Does He only rule over a small bit of the affairs of man? No, we are to confess that His kingdom rules over all. God is sovereign over all things. His rule extends even to the smallest of creatures. I wonder if you remember what Jesus said concerning God's providence in that passage that was read at the beginning of the sermon. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. This is a marvelous truth to consider. Notice that Christ said this in the middle of His teaching about how His disciples will be persecuted. 
Did you hear it in that passage that I read? I wanted to read the whole text to you. It was a long text, but I wanted you to hear this passage concerning God's providence, even over the smallest of creatures, uh, in the context of the message that Christ was bringing to His disciples concerning persecution. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated, maybe even by members of your own family. You're going to be brought before tribunals. You're going to be sent to prison. You're even going to be killed. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of saying, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, there is where Christ says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. What is his point? He is saying, listen, nothing is outside of God's control. God governs the world, all of it. His kingdom is over all. And He upholds the natural world. He even cares for the sparrows so that nothing will befall you apart from His sovereign will. Nothing will befall you apart from His sovereign will. Not even a hair will fall from your head apart from your Father's sovereign will. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So He's saying to His people, listen, do not fear. God will God will keep you. He will sustain you. This does not mean that harm will not befall you, but He will keep you for all eternity. That's the point. That is the point. God will keep you and preserve you in this world according to His will, and He will keep you and preserve you for all eternity. And there in that text we find another truth. God exercises a special kind of providence over His people. Does God rule over all? Yes. His sovereignty extends to all things. But He exercises a special kind of loving providence over His people. Listen to the way that God speaks to His chosen people in Zechariah 2.8. He says, He who touches you touches the apple of His eye. So God has His people in the world, and He describes them as the apple of His eye, His, his precious people, His chosen people. So God, God's providence extends to all things. But He has a special kind of love and providence for His people whom He has redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. One question that people often ask when presented with this teaching is, what about sinful actions? What about sinful actions? How can we say that God governs sinful actions? One, He governs sin by permitting sin. God allows men to sin, but He Himself does not tempt men to sin. There is a difference between these two things. This is what James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. So God does not cause men to sin. God does not tempt men to sin. But He does permit men to sin. There is a difference between those two things. Two, God governs sin by restraining sin. Thanks be to God for this, that He restrains evil. He restrains evil in the world. He restrains evil in our own hearts. God governs sin by restraining sin. And three, God governs sin by using that which is evil for good. Joseph knew about this, didn't he? I'm speaking of the Joseph of the book of Genesis. He was able to speak to his brothers who sold him into slavery. That's evil, is it not? For brothers to sell a brother into slavery? But how did he speak to them when he saw them years later? As for you, you meant evil against me, he says, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
So Joseph had this perspective that God governs even the sinful actions of his creatures. And one of the ways that he governs the sinful actions of creatures is by using that which is evil for good. So we have learned that God's works of providence are his preserving and governing all his creatures and their actions. But you probably noticed that I skipped a phrase in our catechism, didn't I? Our catechism describes God's preserving and governing of his creatures and their actions as being most holy wise and powerful. This is an important description for it describes the quality of God's providence. God's providence is most holy. Psalm 145:17 says, "The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works." So when we think of God's providence, when we think of the way that he preserves and governs the world, we must say that God's providence is most holy, holy to the absolute, holy In a perfect way. God's providence is most wise, for in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is Colossians 2.3. So whatever God is doing in this world, we must confess that it is most wise. God's wisdom is infinite, without borders, without boundaries. And God's providence is most powerful. Indeed, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? That is Daniel 4.35. God is most powerful in His acts of providence. And so, brothers and sisters, we must see that God is not asleep in heaven. He is not asleep in heaven. He is not distant. He is not aloof. He is not hands off as it pertains to the details of our lives or the details of the lives of others. There is so much mystery in all of this, but we must confess that our God is now preserving and governing all His creatures and their actions in a most holy, wise, and powerful way. And because of this, we can trust in Him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for your acts of creation. We thank you for your acts of providence as well. We thank you that you are near to us, O Lord, and that the things that we experience here in this life are not random or out of control. Uh, They are not haphazard, but they are falling out according to your sovereign will. And we do confess to you, O God, that there is a great deal of mystery in this to us, for we do see much suffering in the world. We see wickedness all about us. Give us faith to know that you are governing this. You are permitting this, but not by a bare permission, not in a meaningless way, but for a purpose. You are restraining evil in this world. You are even now working even that which is evil for good. O God, strengthen our faith so that we might know this for certain, O Lord. We thank you for your decree, O God, and we confess that it is holy, that it is wise, that it is perfect. We thank you for your providence as well. Help us to know, O God, that you are sovereign over all. Help us to trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.